the cut in there, it sounds like you went fishing. I went to Basque Country. Basque Country is in northern Spain, and um, it's just an incredible environment. We, we have a good footprint in Burundi, our church does, in Burundi, in India, in uh, Mexico, and now in Haiti. But uh, Basque Country, we wanted, we wanted a footprint in Europe, and so we've aligned ourselves with some missionaries there. 2.5 million Basque people, 0.02%, understand what it means to have a relationship with God in Christ. This is considered a post-Christian environment. Much of Europe is. And there's our team right there. We went on a prayer walk through some towns, and this is one of the churches found there. It is virtually empty. That's our team, pretty much equally divided between campuses. They were fantastic as they served, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them as we go. But let me jump to an exciting part, and that is the Tour de France. Uh, Some of you know, and I'll tie this to the message, I promise. It'll all work together. Um, Some of you know I love road cycling. In fact, I even thought for this message I would bring my bike up here and have it here with me, and I'd have my cycling shorts on and my cycling shirt. And then I thought nobody wants to see their pastor in spandex, and so that did, did away with that idea. But uh, every July, the Tour de France begins. Uh, of course, it's in France. But did you know that um, for the first few days of the race, they always begin it in an adjoining country? Last year, it was in Denmark. We found out about six weeks before we left that it was going to begin in Basque country. Oh, my goodness, really. As it turns out, our missionary there has an outreach to cyclists. And so uh, several of us got to go and be a part of this, the beginning of stage three in this small town in Basque country. And you can see the motorcycles coming, followed by more motorcycles, and then team cars, and eventually the cyclists came riding by. I mean... I just want to be vulnerable and say I cried. I was so happy. This was so exciting to be a part of this. But it was a part of our missionaries' outreach, too, so it was really awesome to be a part of it. That's stage three. And you know they they ride for 2,200 miles. How about that? 21 stages, 2,200 miles, and they ride in teams. This is a picture of them in the mountains. I wish I had taken that picture. I didn't. But starting today and tomorrow, they're starting to get in the mountains. It is the most It is the most watched sporting event on TV in the world, even more than the World Cup, which is hard to believe. Okay, enough about cycling. Not really. Let me talk just a little bit more about cycling. But I'm going to tie this into John 13, which is where we'll be. I want to introduce you to a term, and the term is domestique. It is a French word that means servant. It means servant. And there... In, the, in any pro cycling event, in the Tour de France, let's say, there are eight riders to a team. And each team has one leader, one leader. And that team is going to work hard to get that leader to win, to be able to stand on the podium at the end at the Tour de France in Paris. The other riders are called domestiques, maybe super domestiques, but their job is to help that leader win. This is how the Eurosports put it. They are, the domestiques are the unsung heroes of the Tour de France. They have one job, sacrifice everything for their team leader. And so they'll go get water for their team leader. They'll go get food for their team leader. They'll break the wind for their team leader. That sounds terrible. What I mean is they, what I mean is they cut through the wind and create a slipstream so the, so the team leader can ride more effortlessly. It's a, it's a remarkable, remarkable 
thing, the Tour de France, these domestiques. Now, let me jump to John 13. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere is, is, the, is the idea of, of, a, of a domestique, of a servant, more completely, more fully expressed than in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in John 13. Now, before we look at the first verses of John 13, let me say this. John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five chapters. John gives us five chapters that are all from the same setting. It's from what they call the upper room. It's the, it's the, it's the night before Jesus dies on the cross. It's, in the church calendar, it's called Monday Thursday. Maybe you knew that. But all of it is from this upper room. And Jesus has taught them much. But he has one more thing that he wants to teach them. So, let's begin with John chapter 13, the upper room, the beginning of these first five chapters, just before the cross the next day. This is what, how it begins. Before the Passion celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that the cross had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his, his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Uh, some, some versions of the Bible say, he, and now, he showed the, now he's showing the full extent of his love. Now you can imagine the, the setting. Here's Jesus with his 12 disciples. Here is, here is sensitive John next to him. And over here is passionate Peter. And over here is inquisitive, doubting Thomas. And over here is deceptive Judas in the mix. And then the eight others. And Jesus has spent three years from them walking through the countryside, showing them so many things, doing so many different miracles. Jesus would go to sleep, and he'd wake up the next morning, and the guys would be scattered around, and they'd get up, and they'd go on to a new adventure. He had taught them so much about the kingdom of God and what was coming. But he had one more lesson for them. Call it a silent lesson. The other day I was reading in a book a story of a, of a, of a small construction company owner. And this owner was in the middle of a project and he needed some extra employees. So he went out and he hired a few extra laborers to do some miscellaneous work. And one day the owner was walking through the construction site and he saw these, these few guys over there just shooting the breeze. Not working. About a half hour later, he came by, and there they were again, just shooting the breeze. And so he walked up to them, didn't say a word, pulled out a $50 bill, struck a match, lit it on fire, and extinguished it. And then all he said was, that's what this has cost me today. Now, I wasn't there, but that just is emblazoned in my mind. Maybe in yours too. Can you imagine how it impacted the guys who were there? How it maybe even changed their lives? That's what you call a silent lesson. Uh, I remember growing up getting silent lessons from my parents. Jay, will you mow the lawn? I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I hear the lawnmower starting outside. as my dad. Oh, man. Silent lesson. Or maybe your mom. Empty the dishwasher. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Then you hear the rattling of the of the plates. Ah, oh, silent lesson. That's what Jesus is giving them, is a silent lesson. 
Let's look at it. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and pointed water, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, we don't know in what order he went. Maybe he started with John, who was next to him, and then eventually getting to Judas. Can you imagine that? The one who will betray him. And then to Peter, and Peter who resisted him for a while, but then gave in. Why wash their feet? Let me just give you a little cultural context, and some, a lot of you understand this, but I want to make sure all of us are on the same plane of understanding of what Jesus is doing, because there's a lot of um, symbolism in this. You know, if you have somebody come to your home, a guest come to your home, I know some of you will, you have the expectation that people take off their shoes and leave them at the door, which is fine, and people walk around your house in their socks or in bare feet, Right? In those days, when guests arrived at home, they didn't show up in their Nikes and, and uh, New Balance and Clarks and Hush Puppies or whatever brand of shoe you wear. They showed up with bare feet or with sandals. And this is after a day of walking on unpaved streets that are filled with dust. And so their feet would be gritty and grimy, and they needed to be washed. Well, what's the big deal? You're going to have, and in, in this case, they're having dinner, right? Well, what's the big deal? You, you, you sit under a, a table and your feet are hidden, correct? But not back in those days. The tables were very low. And if you look back in Matthew chapter 9, you see the story of Jesus having dinner with Matthew and his friends. The actual word used is recline. They reclined at the table. This is how they ate. They leaned on their elbow and their feet stuck out like this, and they ate like that. They reclined at the table. And so their feet were exposed. So dirty feet, yuck. At the dinner table, they cleaned the feet. Now, who cleaned the feet? Who washed the feet? Was it the, was it the house owner? No. Was it the guest who washed his own feet? No. It was a servant. It was the lowliest of the servants in the home who washed the feet. And so here we see Jesus taking the form of a domestique, of a servant, and washing their feet. It seems to never have occurred to the disciples to wash their Lord and teacher's feet. <laughs> it, didn't, it, 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 it doesn't seem to have occurred to them to wash each other's feet. Jesus is washing their feet. But why? Why is Jesus washing their feet? To show them the full extent of his love and what real love looks like. Can you define what real love looks like? This is how the late Tim Keller puts it. The real way to know how much you love somebody is how much you are willing to give. You know, you can say to somebody, I love you. Or somebody can say to you, I love you. But if there's no effort, if, if, there's, no, if there's no giving, if there's no sacrifice, then isn't it just pure emotion? Because at the heart of true love, God's tr kind of love, it is giving of ourselves. So, so what is the big picture that's happening here with this scene in the upper room, Jesus washing the feet? It reflects, it reflects the trajectory of his entire life and purpose. 
Jesus, as the, as the honored guest at this table with his friends, as the honored guest, he stands up and stoops down just as he stood up in heaven and left his Father in heaven and came to earth to dwell among us. And just as Jesus stoops down now to wash the filth and the grime off the feet of his friends, he goes to the cross and takes your sin and your shame and mine and the filth of our lives onto himself so that we be, can be forgiven as we put our faith in him. It's symbolically pointing toward, toward the cross. Jesus is simply showing us this is what love looks like. It's giving. Now, there's some words and so on. We're going to skip a few verses. I want to go on to show you what what Jesus says next, after um, certainly there's some confusion among the disciples. What's going on here? This is, this is what John writes. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Wow, I want to come back to that in just a little while. God will bless you for doing them. But I want to, I want to give you a little context of what's going on here. I'm thankful that we've got all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you were to go back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, you'd see what's going on behind the scenes. The disciples are having an argument. You ever been in one of these arguments? Who is the greatest? <laughs> Who is the, who's the greatest among us? Can you imagine that? And so Jesus picks up a towel and a basin and shows them this is what greatness really looks like. Can you imagine that? The church where I once worked in Akron, we had a partnership with an inner city church. And every Monday, Thursday, every year, we would get together and we would wash each other's feet. The men would meet with the men. The women would meet with the men, with the women. Women would meet, women would meet with the women. And... Um, um, I remember my first time washing feet. The guy took off his socks, and I thought, ugh. Have you ever washed somebody's feet, somebody else's feet? There are many churches that do this on a regular basis, which is, which is great. Washing feet can be sort of an ugly, gross experience, but it's a reminder of what true greatness is stooping down. Years ago, I was at a seminar or on leadership, or maybe it was on parenting. I can't remember, but I remember learning this term, lead with the towel. That's what true greatness is. What does that mean, to lead with the towel? You know what it means? It means to be other-centered and not self-centered. It means to look for ways to meet needs emotionally, physically, spiritually, it means to find ways to share your resources, your time, your talent, your, your treasure with others. And that's going to look so different for all of us, isn't it? Because we're all at different places in life. 
Maybe it's going to mean for you, instead of somebody, looking for somebody to listen to you, you listen to somebody. You take time and listen with your ear to somebody else. Maybe it's taking a dinner to somebody. Maybe it's doing a chore for somebody, running an errand for somebody. Maybe it's opening your home so a small group can meet there and you can all grow together in Christ. Maybe it's going on a short-term mission. (laughs) I don't know. Or maybe it's becoming a missionary. Maybe it's sharing the good news of Jesus with your neighbor, with your friend. The list could go on and on and on. This is what happened just over a week ago. Um, Members from each of our three campuses, we went to area nursing homes. I mean, talk about marginalized people who need an injection of joy and encouragement. And so we went. How cool. To encourage the residents there as well as the workers. This is a picture of our team that was over in Basque Country. We're we're hanging out with all these kids, doing crafts, doing games, doing singing, and all of these different things. This is how crazy it is. We were not allowed to talk about Jesus. This was a camp that went on for six weeks in the town where we were. Our missionaries are trying to very carefully establish a platform with the town so they can one day share the message of Jesus openly. We were there simply helping our missionaries to establish that platform by serving the community. And boy, did we pray that we would be the light of Christ to them, even without saying a word. Now, I I hope to report at some point on Basque Country down the road. Here's another way you could serve somebody. This occurred to me just the other day. Maybe the best way you can serve somebody is by letting them serve you. Some people have a hard time being served. Maybe the best way you can serve someone is letting them serve you. Um, When we get done with the Gospel of John, we're going to, at least this is the plan right now, we're going to dip for a while into some of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. One of the things we would learn in the book of Proverbs is this. And Proverbs lays out so clearly. There is the wise person, and there's the foolish person. There's the wise person, and there's the fool. The wise person understands what real wisdom is, that they are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage somebody else. That sounds like washing feet. That sounds like Jesus, the embodiment of wisdom. So let me come back to what we read earlier. If you do these things, Jesus said, God will bless you. And you know that's true. You know that's true. Remember remember the time when you gave somebody uh, some of your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, and you walked, walked away thinking, I'm glad I did that. Remember the time you spent listening to somebody and you really didn't want to, but at the end of the day you thought, it's good that I did that. Remember the time you did a chore for somebody It's good that I did it. Why did you feel so good deep down inside? Because you're wired. God's image is such that he has wired you to have joy and and a sense of satisfaction from washing somebody's feet, from being a a domestique. Check it out. The, the, The word that is most commonly associated with God in the Bible is give, giver, given, gave, words like that. 
What does that mean? You are, you are no more like God than when you give, than when you take on the image of a domestique, of a giver. Now, there, there's, there's one more thing Jesus wants to know about washing feet. This is what he says. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's where we get the the refrain of that song. Do you know the song? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Wasn't that beautiful? They will know they are Christians by our love. There was a guy by the name of Lucian who was born 100 years after Jesus. He was antagonistic toward Christianity, but he couldn't avoid what he saw. And this is what he says. It is incredible to see the ardor, the passion with which the people of that religion who are being persecuted help each other. They spare nothing. There's a guy by the name of Tertullian, a theologian from the second century, who, who, who quotes what he hears the pagans of the Roman Empire say as they see the Christians being persecuted. Look how they love one another. Listen, if, if, we get, if we get this right within these walls and take it out there, imagine how many people will wake up to God and to Christ. But if we get it wrong, if we get it wrong, if we don't understand what it means to wash each other's feet or wash somebody else's feet, people can be turned off to Jesus and the Bible for a long time. Here's what I want to give you a challenge. Just behind me, just imagine a, a big map, a big map, and the map is of this area. And I want you to put a pin, put a pin on that map where you live. And put a, map, a pin on the map where you work and where your family lives and where you go to school and where you coach and what team you play on and pins all over the map now, right? All over the map. You know what that represents? It represents the church distributed out there. It represents how God has sovereignly and strategically placed each one of us where he wants us to be his church. We're in a building called the church, but we are the church. We are out there. And what if, what if we would spend time serving somebody even this week in the most practical way? Would you do that? This is Axel DeMont, more cycling. 2017 Tour de France. He didn't win. He didn't win. But he helped somebody else win. Look at, look at what this domestique says. When you have done your job and the leader has achieved what they want to do, it is still satisfying. I wasn't on the podium, but it still felt like I won. Isn't that true when you serve? You're being more like God than you ever could be otherwise when you give, when you serve, when you wash feet. You may be incredibly successful. You may be incredibly educated. You may be incredibly wealthy. You may be incredibly well-positioned in life. Congratulations. But as a Christ follower who came for us, who gave us his grace, who has given us forgiveness, who are we if we do not wash feet?
because it's then that we truly win. It's then that we are truly like Christ. I, I don't want to close without saying this. I know some of the, some of the men here in men's fraternity, and I'm glad you are, you're going through the book of James. Have you ever noticed this? Most, most people have read through the book of James because it's so easy and so easy to understand. But it's so easy to run right past the very first line of the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And do you know how he begins his letter? James, the brother of Jesus. James, the leader of the church. No. You know how he starts it? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a domestique of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we all find Jesus saying to us one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's go wash some feet this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time to look at your word and be reminded of what's important. You have done for us through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. Now, would you lead us to people even this week in our family, at work, on our team, at school. Lead us to somebody where we can stoop down and maybe do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And for those who have interest in uh, child dedication, there will be a meeting right now in room C2. Uh, thank you. Have a good day.